So good morning. Fantastic. We're going to continue the Lord's Prayer series uh, today. This is part four. If you're taking notes, it's called Your Will Be Done. And you'll also find notes on the YouVersion Bible app and uh, also on the Bayside Church website. You'll find also on the website the uh, last three parts, also part one, part two, part three. Uh, audio and video are there for you uh, on the Bayside Church website. So if you've missed any of these messages, uh, you can access them there. In this prayer, the context of it, which I shared last week, uh, is that Jesus is telling us how not to pray. He was talking to uh, the people uh, that he was teaching. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. So there's a large crowd of people gathered. Jesus sets himself up on the mount a little bit higher, obviously, to um, take the, or make the most of the acoustics that were available outside. Uh, this is before PA systems and all of that. So to help his voice carry... And he's teaching them. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And right in the middle of those three chapters, we see the stunning Lord's Prayer. And it comes out of him telling people how not to pray. The people of the day, he said, you know, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the heathen who think that they're going to be heard because of their many words. The people that try and impress with long prayers, flowery prayers, so that people around them look at them and go, oh my goodness, how holy are you? How amazing are you? He said, you know, if you're like that, you've got your reward already. And he says, when you pray, pray like this. And he gives us this little prayer. It takes you 20 seconds to say the Lord's Prayer, to pray the prayer. Keep it short and sweet. And so that's like last week we talked about, let your words be few. You sang about it this morning. Let your words be be few, short and sweet. And so I want us to go on from there this morning to the next line of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to put the Lord's Prayer up on the screen for you uh, so that we can all pray this prayer together. And so let's do that, shall we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The second statement in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is known as a Hebrew parallelism. Let me explain that to you. You may never have heard of these before, but it was very big in the day. Uh, in fact, uh, in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, if you've ever read Proverbs, you will see uh, a par parallelisms always there. Um, so what it'll do is it will make a statement, and then the second statement following it will say exactly the same thing, but use different words. And it's a little bit like we do with our kids sometimes. Those of you who are parents, you'll know this. You say something, and then they don't get it, so you say exactly the same thing but using different words, hoping that they will get it and put it into practice. And I know all the parents here because you're all the ones who are smiling and nodding at me right now. Everyone else is, really? It's like that? Some of you will be parents, and you will remember these words. They will echo through your mind, and you go, ah, that's what he was talking about. And so Jesus is using a parallelism here because he says, your kingdom come, and then he repeats that same statement using different words, your will be done. They mean exactly the same thing. We could say, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Both of those are the same thing. 
I'm going to spend a little bit of time later uh, in the year with you. I'm working at the moment on a six-part series on the kingdom of God, and I'll be teaching that series with you later in the year. What is the kingdom of God, and how can we manifest his kingdom uh, here on this planet? So we're going to spend a bit of time with that statement today, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm just going to split that into two points. Point number one is your will be done, and then we'll spend some time on point number two, on earth as it is in heaven. So your will be done. Let's answer a couple of questions here. The first of them is, what is the will of God? Incidentally, what is God's will for my life is the most often asked question by Christians of their faith. How can I know God's will for my life? As if God had an individual will for every person on this planet. If that was the case, there would be absolute chaos. Can you imagine Like there's over 7 billion people on planet Earth. Imagine if God had an individual will for all of the 7 billion plus people and then all of the people tried to weave those together to try and make it work. It would be absolute chaos. God actually has one will and rather than us trying to find what God's will is for my life, my task is to find out what God's will is and how I can intersect with that will and expressing his will to planet Earth. And so what is God's will? Putting it simply, God's will is the expression of his nature towards all people in general and his people in particular. The nature of God. What is God like? Uh, If you've ever studied theology, you'll have studied um, the attributes of God. That is the, the various aspects of his nature that he uses to express himself to people. If you want to read a wonderful chapter on the attributes of God in the Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter 9. Just make a note of that, read it during the week, and then maybe make a list of all the attributes you can find. I'm told there's around 90 to 100 different attributes of God expressed in that stunning prayer. And so have a read of that and see what God is like. The will of God is his desire to express his nature to people on this planet. And so things like fairness or justice, his love, his kindness, uh, his mercy, his goodness. I have a will for my parents, Christi- sorry, for my, for my children. Christy and I as parents, we have a will for our kids. Our will for our children is the expression of who we are and what we believe, our nature expressed to our kids. We have uh, their, their highest um, purpose in our hearts. We want to do the very best for our kids that they might um, succeed in this life uh, in in proper success. Not just about climbing corporate ladders and money and all of that, but they would live um, worthy lives, good lives on this planet. That's the expression of our will. And the Father, our Heavenly Father, expresses His nature to His children. That's His will. In the Sermon on the Mount, as I mentioned before, the Lord's Prayer is actually right at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of chapter 6. And really, if you look at chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, it really, the whole three chapters in this sermon, uh, Jesus is unpacking what the Lord's Prayer really means in everyday life. In chapter 7, Jesus is talking about the goodness of the Father, the expression of the goodness of the Father's will. And in chapter 7, verses 9 to 11, he says, Which of you, he's talking to parents here, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I've never done that. When one of my kids comes and asks me for a Nutella sandwich, I don't spread Nutella between two rocks. 
here you go, break your teeth on that. No, I always put it in bread. If they ask me for bread, that's what they get. If they ask for fish, which they very rarely do because they don't like it, you could tempt them better with chicken. But if they ask for fish, I'm not going to give them a snake. Can I have fish, Dad? <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> I'm not like that. And some of you would be very glad to know that. And then Jesus makes this very interesting statement. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, the translators here got really stuck because they're trying to translate word for word quite often. And the thing is that in a lot of languages, you can't translate one word for one word. The word, for, uh, the word evil is a classic example now, that Greek word can mean evil, but it really isn't a good translation because he's talking to parents here and he's actually talking about how parents can be good. And then he says, but if you know, if you, even though you're evil, and now the connotation of evil, what is it? If I talk about someone being evil, do you think they're good? No. It's woo-ha-ha-ha. You know, if you being woo-ha-ha-ha-ha know how to give good gifts to your kids. No, no, no. The word evil here is very, very interesting. It could be translated better like this even though you are not always as good as you could be. That's what that word literally means. As a father, I, I want to be good to my kids, but I'm not always as good as I can be. I, I make mistakes. I fail. Sometimes I lose my temper. Very rarely, but sometimes it happens. No, never. <laughs> sometimes I'm not as good as I can be. Sometimes I can cause trouble and pain to other people. I don't mean to, but I'm, in, I'm imperfect. And I have a feeling I'm in really good company today. So everyone's sitting and nodding and going, yes, I want to be good. I want to be good to other people, but sometimes I fall short. And that's what that word means. And so it would be much better translated, even though you are not always good as you could be, you still know how to give good gifts to your children. And if that's the case, Jesus says, how much more will your father, who's as close to you as the air that you breathe, express his will to you by being good to you? So what is God's will? It's the expression of the goodness of his nature. The second question I want to ask here is, why isn't God's will automatically done? And this really leads into the question that most non-Christians ask about our faith. The question we ask of our faith is, how do I know God's will? The question non-Christians ask of Christians, because we talk about a God who's good, and if God is good, then how come there is so much evil on this planet? And I can answer that for you in this next question. Why isn't God's will automatically done? You see, if God's will is the manifestation of his goodness, then why do we see such a lack of goodness on planet Earth? If God is who he says he is, why isn't his will always done? I mean, the Bible reveals God as a sovereign king. If he is sovereign, then why doesn't he always get his own way? And if his way is goodness, then why don't we see goodness on planet Earth all the time? If God is sovereign king, we have three sovereign kings in the part of the world that Jesus came from, the Middle East. There are still three sovereign kingdoms in the Middle East, Bahrain, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia. Bahrain and Jordan are constitutional monarchies uh, where the king gets to pick 
the Prime Minister and all of the government. So he then picks them and delegates responsibility to them. In a constitutional uh, monarchy, the king gets his own way. Saudi Arabia takes it one step further than that. Saudi Arabia is an absolute monarchy where the king doesn't pick the Prime Minister, the king is the Prime Minister. And not only that, he's also the head of the Justice Department. And all of his family members fill every role in government in Saudi Arabia. And so the king is sovereign and the king gets his own way. But we come to God as a sovereign king and it isn't the same. God's will is not that which always happens on planet earth. And so what is the answer? How can God be a sovereign king but not always get his own way on this planet? In answer to that question, I'm going to share three things with you very quickly. The first of them is this. God is sovereign, but he's also given free will to people. So God has a will, but he's also taken a risk, and he's given free will to people. What a recipe for disaster. Right there at the beginning, he gave male and female, man and woman, free will. So what we have in the world today is one will of God, but 7.4 billion individual human wills. <clears throat> Why on earth did God do that? Wouldn't it have been much better to have programmed people? The answer is yes and no. I mean, with my kids, sometimes I wish they were programmed. There are moments, you know, why can't we just program them to not, so we don't have to repeat ourselves every day about the same things. I said to Trinity during the week, she's our eight-year-old, and like it's the same every morning, you know? Get dressed, tidy your room, come and have breakfast, uh, pick your towel up off the floor. Get your wet towel off the bed. Get your lunch out of the fridge. Put it in your bag. I said to her, could you write these things down and just read the list? I mean, you can read and write, for goodness sake. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a little computer chip and just stick it in your child's brain so they just automatically know what to do every morning? But you know where it falls down? Because if she was programmed and she came up to me like this little robot and she goes, I love you, daddy. See you later. Uh, that would be very unsatisfying. Why? Because she's programmed to love me. And so God took a risk. He gave free will to people. Why? Because he wants people out of the freedom of their will to come and love him and, and serve him and worship him and be part of his family. And so it's risky, but I'm glad he did it. The church is actually a, is a community of people who all love God because they choose to. It's wonderful. And so God didn't program us. The cause of most evil on the planet, and the answer to that question, if there's a sovereign God, if there's a loving God, why is there so much evil? The answer to that is very simple. The cause of the vast majority of evil on this planet is people using their will in the wrong way. Either evil people doing the wrong thing or good people not doing the right thing. That's 90% of it. The rest of it is just what we would call natural disasters, which happens on a planet which is out of joint. I'm going to put a statement on the screen for you, and this is really important that we get this theology correct. God is in charge, not in control. God is in charge not in control. You might want to write that down. 
You see, sometimes we say, I hear, I hear people say this all the time. I've even noticed it a few times in Facebook during the week, people making this comment, well, God's in control. Well, if God's in control, he's doing a really bad job. But the fact is that God is not fiddling with the human race all the time. He's not micromanaging. He's not in there, you know, changing this and getting rid of that. And, you know, he's not going to obliterate Islamic State. Um, that's not his job. That's our job. And the fact is that if God was to get rid of suffering in the planet, if he was going to get rid of evil on the planet, where would he stop? I mean, where would we actually draw the line? Because I've already said that I'm not always as good as I can be, so he'd have to wipe me out. Because sometimes I cause pain and suffering by my inferiorities, my inadequacies, and my mistakes. And it's the same with you. So if God was going to get rid of evil in the world, he'd actually have to push the complete destruct button and fry us all. Because only then would he get rid of all the evil on the world. So we're often thinking, okay, we're just going to get rid of like the really bad stuff right at the top there, you know, get rid of IS, get rid of, you know, um, uh, Robert Mugabe, get rid of all of these horrible people, but then everybody else gets to live. And so there's still evil on the planet because there'll still be, so where does we draw the line with that? So God is in charge, but he's not in control. Really important. My second point leads into that a little bit more in answer to this question. God is sovereign and he's moving history in the right direction. His plan will ultimately be fulfilled. And so if you read history, and I encourage you uh, to read history, because otherwise we're looking at this current world through this little bubble of now. And if you look at right now, very easy for you to think, oh, wow, things are getting worse and worse and worse in the, in, in the world. But no, they're not. If you're a student of history, you will realize that things are a lot better today than they used to be. I'm reading a series of books at the moment on the War of the Roses, which was uh, a war during the 1400s in, in Britain, where two branches of the royal family fought each other for several decades trying to gain control. And as I'm reading through that, I'm, I constantly think, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I wasn't alive then. I would be hopeless you know, you had to ride a horse and use a spear and, and sword fight and wear armor and you couldn't have a shower every day. And like, I'm too soft to be alive then. It'd be horrible. The world is much better than it was back in the 1400s. It's better than it was 50, 60 years ago. I mean, you think about what happened in the last century. We had two world wars. Things were awful during the First World War, Second World War. Would you want to be alive then? No. Is the world better now than it was then? Absolutely. You know, over the last 20 years, we've actually started to make inroads into um, world poverty and combating world poverty. There is not, there's still a lot of poverty in the world today, but there's not as many poor people, people under the poverty line today as there were 20 years ago. Things have actually improved. And so if you're a student of history, what you see is like this beautiful scarlet thread of God's hand working through all of the decisions of various people, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the ugly, and, and, and God is moving history in a direction to fulfill his kingdom and to establish his kingdom on earth. And so we've got to see, yes, God is sovereign. He's not controlling everything, but he is working all things together for his good. Amen. And then the third thing I would say in that regard is this. God is sovereign and his delegated responsibility of demonstrating his will, his goodness, to the church, the body of Christ. 
And so in the fullness of time when God was born in the flesh as the person we call Jesus, we, we read in the book of Acts that Jesus was a man anointed by the Spirit going around doing good. What was he doing? He was expressing the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. He was going around doing good. As you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read about this amazing man, uh, Jesus Christ, God in human form, who everywhere he went expressed the will of the Father. He was doing good stuff. He was healing people, feeding people, loving people, embracing the marginalized, doing incredible things, teaching words of faith and life and, and encouragement to people everywhere he went. And then when he ascended into heaven, he left a body on this planet, and some of the members of it are gathered in this room today. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? Well, my body expresses my will to those around me. It gives people hugs. It gives people handshakes. It um, speaks words of life and encouragement. Everywhere I go, I'm part of the body of Christ, a member of the body of Christ, expressing the will of God on earth. So the, God, the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that leads me into the second point here. On earth as it is in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is the second time the word heaven is used in this prayer. It starts, our Father in heaven. And we looked at that a few weeks ago, realizing that's in the plural form. It would be better as our Father who is in the heavens or in the air, in the atmosphere, so that God is not up there somewhere. God is all around. And so I use this statement with you to try and uh, flesh that out, that God is our Father who is as close to us as the air that we breathe. But this time the word heaven is used. It's not plural, it's singular. So it's talking about the spirit realm or the absolute dwelling place of God. Kenneth E. Bailey in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, he puts it this way, the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, the will of God flows like a great river that has no barriers to halt its progress. On earth, however, sin interrupts the flow of God's desire for good for all people. Such a desire is his perfect will. We pray asking that here on earth, we might enjoy the perfect will of God as it is enjoyed in heaven. The focus of the entire Lord's Prayer is what happens on earth. Jesus taught us to pray for God's kingdom to come to earth. His will be done on earth. God cares for his creation and he wants his people to care for it too. And in the final minutes of this message, I just want to unpack this a little bit for you in, in two realms. Uh, first of all, how is God's will done on the big issues of life? And then how is God's will carried out on the small issues for each and every one of us in our everyday now, I'm going to mention a couple of big issues, and the problem when, as soon as I mention these, is that some of you are going to go right, some of you are going to go left, and uh, because we politicize the big issues of life. And I think that's one of the tragedies in our society and, and, and in many other uh, countries today, is that we politicize things that are really, really, really important. Now, we are deliberately politically unaligned as a church. You will never hear me talk up, um, you know, encourage you to vote for this person or that person or whatever. It's completely up to you. 
Uh, we did a survey at Bayside Church a number of years ago, and we asked a number of questions um, uh, so that we knew where our congregation were at on different uh, ethical and, and, um, and political issues. One of the questions we asked is, who do you normally vote for? And uh, what we found was just over 50% of our congregation voted Liberal, just under 50% voted Labor, so we're almost half and half, and then there was a, a smattering of Greens, Independents, and people who don't vote at all. And that's all fine. The challenge is that when we mention issues of life, the, the temptation for us, if we are especially politically minded, is that we will lean to one side of the debate, which is not the way that we are to go as Christian men and women. Now, you vote for whoever you want to vote for. It's according to your conscience. You do your study when the election comes up, and you vote for your local member who, in your opinion, best reflects the will of God for this local community. But let's talk about a couple of issues. As soon as I mention the environment, people will go somewhere in their mind. If I mention environment, some of you will go right, some of you will go left. If I talk about one issue concerning the environment, let's mention the words climate change. So some of you will go left on that, some of you will go right. Some of you are sitting there right now thinking, uh, it's just a political myth that's been made up and, and it doesn't even exist and man-made climate change isn't real and all of that. And there'll be others and you're right over the other side and you're thinking we should still have a price on carbon and blah, 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 right? But let's depoliticize climate change and the environment for a moment and let's think about and talk about God's care for this planet. Because if we're praying this prayer that Jesus gave, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth, this round ball rotating and, and, and uh, floating in space, if God's will is to be done on this planet and we're talking about big issues like the environment, what would God's will be? Would God want us to care for this world, yes or no? Just out of interest, who thinks we should care for the planet that we live on? Okay, interesting. Just out of interest, is there anyone here who thinks we shouldn't be caring for the world, the earth? Okay. Did anyone just not lift their hand up at all? Lift up your hand. <laughs> one. There's always one. <laughs> so we're all in agreement then that we should actually be caring for the planet that we live on. And, and I'm glad you responded in that way because we should. There, there are certain things, we need to depoliticize this because this thing gets kicked around like some sort of football between the right and the left and it's all used rather than caring for the environment, they're arguing about things from different angles to get votes so they can get power. But God says, hey, we're beyond all this stuff. Don't politicize it. Do whatever you can to care for the planet. I've talked to some Christian people over the years and they say, we don't need to, create, we don't need to care for the planet because God's going to create a new one one day. Well, what sort of stupid, illogical statement is that? That was very big when I first became a Christian in the late 70s, early 80s because Jesus was about to come back at any moment when the planets aligned in 1983 and there was going to be catastrophe all over the world and Jesus was going to come back and we're about to be ushered into the great tribulation and, and so it wasn't worth looking after the planet because the whole thing was going to be destroyed. And so I was discouraged by my pastor at the time. He said, don't bother about buying a house. He said, you won't even ever get to pay off the mortgage. Don't buy a house. I'm like really ticked with him now. Because <laughs> houses were like $25,000 then. We could have bought like six of them. <laughs> and I'd, I'd be able to just 
you know, work at church for free now because I'd be completely self-funded. So thanks a lot, John. So don't care for it because God's going to give us a new one. Well, that's really dumb. Like if you've got a car right now, it might not be the car that you want forever. But what are you going to do? You're going to trash it? Oh, I'm going to get a new car one day. Laying rubber everywhere and smash the thing into a fence. And that's fine. doesn't really matter because I'm going to get a new one one day. No, you've got a car right now. You're going to look after it. Why? Because it needs to last until you can get a new car. Same with your house. If you're in a house right now and you know that's not going to be the house you're in forever, you're not going to trash your house. You're going to look after your house. You're not going to jump all over the furniture just because one day you're going to buy a new couch. You're going to look after the stuff you've got right now and it's the same with planet Earth. We need to look after this. Environment conservation is the same. I think it's tragic that there are certain animals that God created that no longer exist because people have stuffed it up. And we haven't cared for different animals. And I love the fact that there is conservation right now and caring for animals. Why? Because they're the creation of God. And we need to demonstrate. I've had people say to me, well, you can't. It's not about caring for animals. It's about caring for unborn babies. Well, like you can't do two things. <laughs> Why can't we care for unborn babies and care for animals? That's God. He's ringing you. He's telling you to switch off your phone. (laughs) Praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means that Christian people will pray and work on this planet for things like peace and justice amongst people and nations. That we will work for economic justice and equality for rich and poor We'll work for uh, the same things for male and female. We'll work for racial equality for people of marginalized races. We will protect refugees and asylum seekers. And right there, as soon as I mention refugees and asylum seekers, some of you go right in your brain and some of you go left. And it's a shame that precious people have become a political football because they're precious people. Now, right now in the world, there's over 65 million people that have been displaced from their homes. Put yourself into their shoes for a moment. How would you and I feel? How would I feel if someone came to my house and gave me five minutes to get out? We've we've got people from Palestine in our Cheltenham campus, and that's what their parents experienced. At five o'clock one morning, the, the Israeli soldiers came into their house, and they said, you've got five minutes, get whatever you want and leave. And they eventually got through, you know, Germany and different parts of Europe and eventually emigrated to Australia. How would we feel if we were one of them? What does Christian compassion say to us? What is God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Now, almost half of those people are are legitimate refugees or asylum seekers. Not only have they been booted out of their house, they can never go back home. Some of the others will, will be repatriated at some point in time but but almost half it's almost like the population of Australia is around 23 24 million people are legitimate refugees and asylum seekers now I know we can't help everybody it would be wrong for us as a country to say to all 24 million you come to Australia because we can't help 24 million people as a country and I know some of you don't, maybe don't want to have any immigration. There'll be other people here who want more. Uh, and some of you are completely satisfied with what our government is doing right now. The fact is that as a country, we can't help everybody. As a church, we can't help everybody. But because we can't help everybody, it doesn't mean we can't help anybody. 
At our Cheltenham campus over the last year or two, we've had an increasing number of Iranian refugees come to our church. A number of them were boat people. A number of them, in fact, many of them have spent time on Christmas Island and in other parts of detention, uh, either in Australia or, or on one of the islands. I've sat and talked to them and heard their stories. They are absolutely devastating. I'm not talking about political issues here. I'm talking about the will of God for planet Earth as we care for people, as we express the goodness of God, because that is what we're doing in that prayer. If we're really praying, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's part of the prayer. And so as a church, and, and Christy and I as a couple, we've got alongside these Iranians and we're helping them in different ways. A couple of them we've actually brought into our own family. We bring them around Christmas Day and different times through the year and we're doing life together with them and they've really become very, very close. It's about expressing God's will. So that's the big things. These are not merely political issues that don't affect my faith that don't affect me. They are deeply important matters that should concern all of us who pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that is perfectly. But you know, this expression is not just about the big things. And, and as I wrap up, I just want to spend a few minutes with you talking about expressing the will of God in everyday life. Because part of our, our, in fact, I would say our whole job as Christian people is to express the will of God, the goodness of God, in our everyday lives. That's the answer to that prayer. Because imagine if everyone on this planet did that. Now, I can't make everyone on this planet do that, but I do oversee a wonderful community of people that meets in two locations. And as a community, we can express the goodness of God in our everyday lives. In the Sermon on the Mount, the chapter before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus actually fleshes this out and he uses two metaphors he says to his people you are the salt of the earth and then he uses a parallelism he says exactly the same thing with different words he says you are the light of the world salt of the earth light of the world what do those two things mean let me explain it to you and then we'll wrap up the salt of the earth he's talking about the Hebrew salt ceremony that used to be done at Hebrew weddings the rabbi would be there to officiate at a Hebrew wedding, and there would be the bride and groom, and each of the bride and groom would have a little pouch of salt. And part of the ceremony, uh, the wedding ceremony, they would do the salt ceremony. The rabbi had a slightly larger pouch with nothing in it, and at a particular time during that wedding ceremony, the rabbi would open up his pouch, and he would ask the bride to pour her salt into his pouch, and then he would ask the groom to pour his salt in, and then he would pull the drawstring, and he would shake the pouch together. It's a beautiful illustration of marriage. The two become one flesh. Because if that couple right then said, you know what, we've made a mistake, let's change our minds. The rabbi would then open his pouch and tip the salt onto a table somewhere and said, go for it. You, mate, you pick out your salt, and lady, you pick out your salt. Impossible, right? Because you don't know which, grain belongs, which grains belong to which person. And so it's a wonderful demonstration. And Jesus said, that's what we are like. The two pouches of salt represent faith and works. And as Christian people, we are saved by faith and the grace of God. But then we express that faith through our good works to those who are around us. Martin Luther put it like, like this. He said, uh, faith and works are together. They're like walking. In the beginning, they're distinct. 
faith and works. But as you get faster, they're indistinct. Faith and works, faith and work. And then you're walking and you're having faith, but you're also doing good works. And those things go together. And then Jesus said, you're not just the salt of the, of the earth, you're also the light of the world. And that means exactly the same thing. And he goes on and he explains what that means. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What is God saying here? He's saying that his will is the expression of his nature of goodness to people. He's saying, I have called you to be the body of my son on this planet. And that way, as salt and as light, you express the will of God by doing good things for other people. It's very simple. And we take that one core truth and we then express that every day. So when you get up in the morning, Lord, I'm filled with your spirit. I'm open for business. Give me opportunities to express your goodness wherever I am today. And then look for opportunities. This can absolutely revolutionize your life and the lives of the people around you. How can I express your goodness to my family? How can I express your goodness to my friends? How can I express your goodness to the people I work with? How can I express your goodness to the random strangers I meet through the day? When we do that, we fulfill that prayer. Jesus said, part of this prayer, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through the big issues and the issues of everyday life. Let's pray together. Our Father, who's as close to us as the air that we breathe, thank you for this word. Thank you for this amazing prayer and that each of us would embrace it. We thank you, Lord that you are in charge and that you are weaving history together to fulfill your will and purpose on this planet, the expression of your goodness to your creation and that you've called us into partnership with yourself. You've called us your body, the instrument of expression on planet earth that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done through us. We grasp this one simple truth and I pray that every day, each and every one of us would start the day with an acknowledgement of our purpose on this planet, that your will for our lives is to use our gifts, the abilities that you have placed in our lives, expressed through our distinct personalities to express your goodness to those around us and to this planet we live on. We commit ourselves and surrender ourselves afresh to fulfilling your will and purpose in the name of Jesus. I just want you to remain bowed in his presence for a moment. At every gathering here at Bayside, we always give opportunity for people to respond to the Lord. Last night at Cheltenham, six people gave their lives to the Lord, another one this morning. We don't embarrass you in any way, but at every gathering, we just want to give opportunity for people to hear the word of God, to sense the presence of God, and then to respond and say, wow, what I've experienced here, I want, I want to know more about this. I, I, I want to know this God you're talking about. So many people have a wrong expression or a wrong understanding of God. And sometimes that comes from a wrong understanding of Christian people. I think it's tragic that on this, on, even in this country, some people in Australia 
They don't want to know our God because they've met some of us. They've, they've heard judgmental statements. They've been ostracized. They've seen some of the actions of people that have named the name of Jesus and they go, no, thank you. But I'm going to tell you, God is good and his people are supposed to reflect that goodness. And so if you've had a bad experience, I apologize to you. Today, maybe for the first time, or maybe again, you've realized God is not some angry character sitting on a throne out in space somewhere, but he's actually a loving father who is good and wants to express his goodness to you. And if you would like to know this father as he knows you already, I just want you to raise your hand nice and high where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want you to indicate to me and to God your intention this morning. Just lift your hand up nice and high. Father, I pray that if there is anyone in this place that's journeying with you, I thank you that they are doing the journey and that over the process of time you will demonstrate your goodness and love and draw them into a life-changing relationship with yourself. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.